0: Welcome to another episode of Zen Dependently Minded. In this special audio-only episode, I'm going to be predicting the entire main card of UFC 269, which is premiering depending on where you're living. For me, it's going to be tomorrow, Saturday, actually it's going to be Sunday. But anyway, without further ado, before we get into the episode, here's a brief word from our sponsor. So welcome to MMA Minded number 54, I believe, if I'm tracking correctly. My numbers are all out of whack because I changed the titles of my stuff. Sometimes I called them, you know, world-minded and back when they were just current events. It's all crazy. But anyway, you guys have clicked on this title, on this episode because of the title. So I'm going to get straight into it because I don't have a lot of time. I'm recording this episode, don't have video, and I'll be going through and predicting the entire main card of UFC 269 as well as a few key fights on the prelims and then even the early prelims have some really fun fun fights the the UFC really went all out they really went all out this entire year there have been only a couple fight nights that underperformed maybe one or two pay-per-views that underperformed but when you're a company that has to have an event almost every single week every single weekend there's going to be some slip-ups the UFC has put on an insane number of Highly competitive, stacked from top to bottom, unlike boxing, pay per view and fight night events for this year. And this, they're going out with the bang. This is the final pay per view, UFC 269, obviously headlined by Charles Oliveira and Dustin Poirier. They're going to be fighting for the lightweight championship and co mained by Amanda Nunes and Juliana Pena, which will be, they'll be fighting for the bantamweight title. So, starting off with some early prelims fights that I really like so I'm going to be clicking around so just just bear with me here so Randy Costa and Tony Kelly that's a sleeper fight and Ryan Ryan Hall geez I'm like I'm all over the place guys I'm, I'm really excited for the vacation I'm about to take I'm about to go see one of my favorite comedians in Europe and he's an American what kind of opportunity like what what kind of a person what kind of a comedy fan would I be especially a fan of this specific comedian, what kind of a fan would I be if I skipped on this really rare opportunity for an American comedian who's not extremely well-known like Dave Chappelle, Bill Burr, and Joe Rogan, people like that? He's coming to Europe. This is a perfect opportunity, so bear with me again. Sorry, I'm I'm all over the place and I'm excited. I'm excited for this card. Man, I have a, a fun week coming up. I have this weekend going to see the show, going to explore a beautiful city, Berlin, and yeah, so it's going to be a fun weekend, and then next week, I got my tickets to see Spider-Man No Way Home opening night, Wednesday, December, I'm not sure, I think it's December 15th, December 14th, I get to see it a day earlier than all of my American fellows, so anyway, back to UFC 269, so we got sleeper fight between Randy Costa and tony kelly that's a wipe out. don't sleep on randy costa ryan hall is fighting again i hadn't even realized ryan hall is fighting again obviously his last fight out so he's like a kind of very 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 unorthodox jujitsu guy he submitted bj penn and i think his bj penn's only submission loss either in his old mma career or at least in the ufc definitely so that's that's a really good fight and then also in the early prelims we have Alex Perez fighting and Alex Perez recently i want to say i want to say he fought either Figueredo or he fought Moreno recently and he's in the mix the flyweight division is not just Figueredo and and Brandon Moreno but now it's possibly Cody Garbrandt and then Kai Kara-France if he's able to win so those were the early prelims that i really liked and then the entire all the fights on the prelims as far as i'm concerned They all have potentials to be bangers. We have Tai Tuivasa fighting Augusto Sakai. Obviously, Tai Tuivasa is coming off a sensational knockout on Greg Hardy. Everyone was rooting for Tai Tuivasa except for Greg Hardy himself. And then Augusto Sakai, I believe he just, his last fight out, he lost to Cyril Gan. I'm pretty sure he lost to Cyril Gan. He was undefeated up until then, and then Cyril Gan completely outclassed him. We have Dominic Cruz fighting Pedro Munoz. So that's a pretty exciting fight for both guys. Um, They're both looking to put together some wins because they're in the top 15, Pedro being 8th and Dom being 9. But this is is important for them to get possibly a top 5 fight and then maybe a title fight after that. The bantamweight division is extremely stacked. The fact that we still have Dominic Cruz who is, in my opinion, the greatest bantamweight UFC fighter of all time the fact that he's still fighting and you know he put together a win his last time out wasn't against anybody that was like I'm not gonna go out on a limb and say that he's gonna be champion right away but the fact that we still have the bantamweight goat still fighting but he's fighting on the prelims that just goes to show how stacked this card is so we have that fight going on and I'm this is a tough one for me to pick because Dom looked pretty good in his last fight out. His movement looked on point. His his in and out striking, his right and left hooks as he's bobbing weaving uh left to right looked as good as ever, but like I said, he's fighting a much higher caliber opponent in Pedro Munoz than uh I don't remember the guy. I want to say his name was Casey. I just only really know him from the outrage that he caused when he said Megan Anderson looked like a horse or something or I don't know. It was a little bit blown out of proportion, but that dude's trash, anyways. So Dominic Cruz, Pedro Munoz, I'm not exactly sure who to go with this fight because Dominic Cruz has shown how prone he is to leg kicks, and Pedro Munoz has some really dangerous leg kicks. So I think it's going to come down to whether or not Dom can win the early rounds. So win win the first round, most importantly, because. If Pedro Munoz does start chopping up and carving up his legs, he's going to want to have that first round in the bag. So I think Dom needs to come out very smart, very calculated, but do what he does best. Use his unique movement, use his bobbing and weaving to piece up Pedro Munoz. It's it's hard to knock out Pedro Munoz because... Let me check out his record real quick. I can't think of... um. Let's see. Man, I've never used the actual UFC site to for reference when I talk about UFC cards. It's usually on Google, but for some reason, Google, Google doesn't show the UFC card information. Like the time, people who are fighting, their records, all that stuff, they don't show it anymore. But Pedro Munoz is a tough guy. He's always been a, a tough competitor. And looking at his lot, yeah, he's never been knocked out. And I'm not expecting... Dominic Cruz to be able to knock him out in his old age. And just from what we've seen from him recently, I just don't think he's going to be knocking anyone out, but just looking at Pedro Munoz, he has a very impressive resume over time here. Look, listen, listen to these last six fights. The starting, so he fought John Dodson lost split decision. He fought Brian Carraway, knocked him out. Cody Garbrandt, obviously knocked him out. Aljamain Sterling lost by decision. Frankie Edgar, decision loss, Jimmy Rivera, decision win, Jose Aldo, decision loss, which a lot of people felt that Pedro won that fight. I don't, but that's a topic for another discussion. So I don't think this fight's going to end in a finish, at least for Dominic Cruz. I just don't see that happening. It's, it's no disrespect to Dom. Like I said, he is the GOAT as far as bantamweight fighters go. He's one of the greatest mixed martial artists to ever do it, but he's starting to get over the hill. And we saw that when he fought Henry Cejudo. Henry Cejudo was able to chop up his legs, and then he was able to calculate a takedown, um, and telegraph a, a perfect knee that knocked Dom down and then finish him. So I think the best path to victory for Dominic Cruz, who I think is ultimately going to win, is going to be activity like and and really light movement on his feet, like his last fight out against Pedro Munoz, and he needs to sprinkle in some shots, win the first round, and absolutely win the third round. Second round might be a little closer. Pedro, like I said, might be landing some really strong leg kicks. He might be calculating Dom's movements and and figuring out his patterns a little more. But ultimately, I think Dominic Cruz is going to pull out a decision victory over Pedro Munoz. So, I'm not going to go into depth, but Josh Emmett and Dan Ige, that's another really, really fun fight. Josh Emmett is a is an underrated featherweight fighter. And Danny Ige, obviously, he's been in the mix for a while. He's dropped a couple winnable fights, most notably being against Calvin Cater, who I think people's recency bias blocks them from remembering how great of a boxer Calvin Cater is. Obviously, Max Holloway and Alexander Volkanovsky, they're leagues above everyone else in the featherweight division. But Calvin Cater is... To be able to survive Calvin Cater's boxing for five rounds, because it was a fight night that Danny Gay um headlined, it it just goes to show how tough Danny Gay is. So Josh Emmett has a tough task ahead of him, but so does Danny Gay. I think Josh Emmett is going to win by knockout. No, I take that back. He's gonna win by decision. Josh Emmett's just too good and he's too slept on. So, moving on to the main card. Man, is this card crazy. And people might forget, this main card was about to be even better because Jorge Masvidal and Leon Edwards were going to fight. Granted, it was only a three-round fight. That, that would have made this card even more insane. Might possib- Could have been a contender for card of the year. Even without that fight, this main card is absolutely insane. So, we have Roleon Paiva. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. Fighting Sean O'Malley. So obviously, everyone knows Sean O'Malley. Sean O'Malley is either a fan favorite or a fan favorite to hate. You either love Sean O'Malley or you hate him. I happen to be in the boat of being a big fan of Sean O'Malley. I really like his sniper. Very technical and very high-paced and high-volume. But powerful and precise striking style. It's really entertaining to watch. Even people who hate Sean O'Malley they're lying if they say he's not entertaining to watch. Even if they hate his guts and they love the fact that Marlon Vera beat him or whatever whatever part of the argument you you agree with. There's no denying Sean O'Malley is entertaining on the mic, he's entertaining on social media, and he's entertaining to watch fight. He's a sniper. And then Roleon, I remember watching... I remember off the top of my head his last two fights. And his last fight, if I'm not mistaken, without even looking it up, he won by decision I think it was a a very close hard fought it was like one of those fights where both guys were getting rocked and I remember Roleon getting rocked but I remember him doing enough damage to win a decision fight that's what I believe I'm pretty sure now I gotta look it up just to make sure because I'm doubting myself um yeah so he got a decision win over Kyler Phillips and in that fight, looking at the stats, Kyler actually knocked him down. So that's that's a little bit of what I wanted to talk about. So this is probably, most likely, now it's definitely Sean O'Malley's toughest fight. So he's fighting his first ranked opponent. It's about damn time. I don't blame him for, for you want to build the experience. You want to build the experience of fighting in the octagon. You want to build your brand. Because right now, to a lot of people... Building your, their brand is more important than becoming a champion. I think those things can go hand in hand. Um, look at all the examples of fighters that didn't really make life-changing money until they became champion. Anyway, Sean O'Malley's finally fighting a ranked opponent. If he is to beat Ro- Roleon, he's most likely going to take his number and be. he'll come into the bantamweight rankings. So, Roleon has a fun... Stand so this is gonna be a stand-up war. I don't see either guy shooting for a takedown. Even if Sean gets hurt, he's not shooting for a takedown. And I don't think Roleon's gonna do it either. In their last fight, they were rocked. They rocked each other, Kyler Phillips and Roleon. They rocked each other a bunch of times, shot and shot for takedowns on each other. But I just I think Roleon, especially with the trash talk that Sean was laying down on him in the press conference, he's definitely you can tell he's he's pretty heated, he's pretty emotional, and he's he's invested in this fight. That all being said, he's not some guy, he's not just some pushover. The guy is 21 and 3, but he's young though, he's only 26 years old. And I'm not sure. So obviously he's shown he's definitely hittable. He's absolutely 110% hittable. He got knocked down in his last fight. I remember it being really entertaining on both for, from both fighters. Um, but he's only been knocked out once before, and it was, and it was by, let's see, Rogerio Bonterin, and off the top of my head, I can't, I don't, can't recall who that is, but most recently, forgetting, forgetting that knockout loss, most recently, we've seen him get knocked down, and he's shown that he's prone to getting hit. Sean O'Malley has gotten hit a couple times before, but as far as I know, in the UFC, he has never been rocked on the feet. People can argue all they want about Cheeto landing those elbows. Those were deadly elbows. I think if the the round went on, it could have it could have gotten worse. But Sean O'Malley has never really been tested, and he's never been hurt so far in the UFC. So I think this is going to be a fun fight. There's going to be back and forth battles. But I think Sean's constant pressure, the the fact that he has the highest significant strike striking rate in UFC history, that is going to play a huge factor and will ultimately swing the odds in Sean O'Malley's favor. So he's already the favorite right now, and he should be. Just, Roleon is, like I said, he's a formidable striker, but you need more than formidable to be able to beat Sean O'Malley. And Roleon likes to eat a lot of shots, but you can only eat the precise... You can eat wild power shots that aren't really accurate or precise you can do that for 15 minutes you can do it for three rounds some people have even done it for five rounds we saw it against Tony Ferguson uh, versus Gaethje Gaethje doesn't really throw precise shots he throws wild powerful shots and Tony Ferguson known as being one of the most durable fighters in UFC history he eventually his chin broke down on him and I'm pretty sure it was a power jab that really sealed the deal for him in that fifth round Sean O'Malley is just too precise, but he's also too high of a volume striker for Rolion to be able to survive. And I expect Sean O'Malley to really start pouring it on once he's, once he's done feeling him out. He's going to really start pouring it on in the second and third rounds. And I think Rolion is tough, and I I'm not too sure if I'm confident in saying that he's going to be melted by Sean's striking, but we're going to start to see him defrost at least. And, yeah, I think Sean's volume striking is going to be too much for Roleon, and I think he's going to knock him out in the third round. Sean is going to win by knockout over Roleon Paiva in the third round. Official prediction. So, moving on, we have Cody Garbrandt's flyweight debut against Kai Kaikara France, who is a fan favorite. Cody Garbrandt's another one of those guys where you either love that guy or you can't stand him. And... I'm I'm a I'm a fan of Cody Garbrandt as an athlete. As a person, whatever, It doesn't really matter. I'm here to watch UFC fighters for their UFC skills. Cody Garbrandt, obviously, in my opinion, I'm not trying to take anything away from who did he fight last time? Rob Font. I'm not taking anything away from Rob Font. I'm not saying it was a fluke loss or a fluke win for for uh Rob, but Cody just didn't look right and I I truly believe that his bad experience with COVID really affected his cardio and it, it affected his camp and then it affected his his endurance in that fight he just looked gassed he looked gassed before the first round even ended and but his toughness and his athleticism kept him from being knocked out because Rob Font landed some nasty shots on Cody um and then with with Kaikara France he's been fighting at flyweight for a while but I don't think I don't think the weight cut's gonna be any problem with Cody. He didn't look too deflated, he didn't look sick, he didn't look He said this weight cut's been in effect like it started months ago, so it's not like he six weeks ago started started cutting weight. So Kaikara France, his last fight, he knocked out Rogerio Bontarin. So Rogerio Bontarin is the guy who actually happens to be the only person to knock out uh, Rolion Paiva. So he knocked him out with five seconds left in the round. I'm trying to think if I remember that. So I was at two fifty 250, UFC 259. What was that card again? Blovich versus Adesanya. Yeah, so I definitely... Okay, yeah, I definitely remember that one. People were excited because I think, if I'm not mistaken, Kaikara France trains... At the same gym that Volkanovski, Dan Hooker, and um, Israel Adesanya train at in New Zealand. Well, it's not in New Zealand anymore, but... Yeah, so this is going to be interesting. This is another tough one for me to pick because of France is, once again, not a pushover. It's the complete, It's almost the complete opposite of Sean O'Malley's um, opponents. So of France, he's shown that he can be beat. He has been beat before. He's got 22 wins and 9 losses, but if there's anybody better to, to introduce Cody Garbrandt to the flyweight division, I don't know him. Kai Kaikara France is very, very exciting to watch. Um, He doesn't often shoot for takedowns. He doesn't often land takedowns either, so I expect this to be possibly... If Cody Garbrandt doesn't have success striking early on, I can see him using his superior wrestling skills from back in his college days to win this fight against of France. But it all depends on whether or not Cody is completely recovered from, from COVID. He's had a lot of time off. He's had a lot of time to, like I said, make the weight cut. I think I'm leaning more towards Cody is going to have more or less the same cardio, if not better, than before. Um, because he wouldn't be able to make this weight cut. Granted, it was over six months or whatever he said. But he wouldn't be making this weight cut. Um, I feel that he would pull out of the fight if if he wasn't fit to fight Kaikara France. Because, you know, he hasn't had great luck recently. His last win was that crazy buzzer-beater knockout of uh, Rafael Asuncao, I believe. And then he lost to Rob Font. And then before that, he went on a three knockout streak. He went from being champion, beating the consensus, Bantamweight Goat and Dominic Cruz, to dropping three in a row. So if Cody can use his superior, I believe he's bigger. If he can use his superior size, if he could use his superior athleticism and his speed, I think that he can beat Kaikara France. And I'm pretty confident in that, that he's going to. So I'm picking Cody Garbrandt to beat Kaikara France by knockout. Round? Hmm. I think it's going to be the second round. Cody Garbrandt knocking out Kaikara France in the second round. Official pick. So, the next fight, the last non-title fight we have, is a welterweight fight between Santiago Ponzinibbio and Jeff Neal. So, this is interesting. I wasn't sure if this fight was even going to be carried through, Because, I guess, Jeff Neal got arrested on Thanksgiving or the day after Thanksgiving. And that was only three weeks ago, right? So I wasn't sure what happened there, but I'm not going to dig into it. Whatever. He's fighting, obviously. He was at the press conference. He's going to fight. Santiago Ponzinibbio, he recently, from what I remember, he was injured and he was away for a long time. Came back after one or two years of being injured. Um, and just battling multiple injuries, not just one. And then getting knocked out by Lee Jin Yang, the guy that Hamzat just completely demolished. And then after that, Santiago fought someone else, and he was able to beat them by decision, I believe. And then Jeff Neal, I believe his last fight, if I remember correctly. I mean, I don't need to go off of memory. I can look it up. I'm on my computer right now. Okay, so Jeff Neal, his last fight, he got beat by Neil Magny. And then before that, I already remember he got completely shut out and outstruck and outclassed by uh, Wonderboy. So, this is an interesting one. Because Jeff Neil, Jeff Neal... Saying that he got outclassed by Wonderboy doesn't mean that he's a bad striker. Looking at his entire UFC career, he... For a long time, he went uh, before he got into the UFC, he was on a serious knockout streak. He's never been knocked out in the UFC. Last time he was knocked out was actually by Kevin Holland um, before they both got into the UFC. But the guy has power, and he has a wide variety of weapons to throw at Santiago. And then, on the other hand, Santiago is another dangerous guy. But we showed that he has... He, he can, he got completely put out, like, out cold by, um, De Leech, the Chinese guy. Um, that knockout, I would, I did not expect that. It seemed like Santiago was just trying to get his, you know, his pacing together, just kind of figure out Li Jingyang, and then I think Li landed, a, like, a check hook or an overhand that put Santiago out, and that was stunning. And yeah, he hadn't fought since 2018 before that, and... His last fight, before he went on that injury tear, he actually knocked out Neil Magny. So, that all being said, I think, looking at their... Let's see if I can see their reach statistics. So, Santiago has almost double the amount of fights that... Yeah, he has has almost double the amount of fights that Jeff Neil has. He's one inch taller... Reach advantage actually goes to Jeff Neal. So this is going to be an interesting one. Both guys are similar in stats. They have... Most of their wins have come by by knockout. They got a couple by sub, and about a quarter of their fights have been by decision wins. Their average fight time is almost the same. They hit and they get hit almost the exact same. Their striking defense is almost the exact same. This is a very, very, very... um even fight but the advantage I think lays with Jeff Neal I think Jeff Neal can utilize his reach advantage and start to calculate power punches and possibly knock out Santiago and he also has better takedown accuracy so if he wants to take the fight to the ground which I don't see that happening I think he has the advantage there so my official prediction for this fight I'm picking Jeff Neal to win by knockout and I think he's going to win by knockout in the first round. Alright, moving on to the co-main event. We have another win for Amanda Nunes. <laughs> Amanda Nunes is a huge a huge um, favorite to win this fight. And rightfully so. Doesn't mean that Juliana Pena sucks. But here's what I'm going to say. This is actually going to be pretty short and sweet. Juliana Pena was submitted by Jermaine Durandamay. Who has not the best jujitsu, if um if I'm being honest and if I'm being fair? Jermaine Durandomi is a great kickboxer. We saw her outstriking Amanda Nunez the first time and the second time they fought. That's why Amanda had to take her down to the ground and just ground and pound and control her for 25 minutes straight. Standing up, Jermaine Durandomi is very formidable, but on the ground, she's not. There's nothing. There's nothing to awe at really. So that all being said, just looking at Juliana Pena's most recent fights, she was knocked out by, she was, sorry, she was submitted by a kickboxing specialist. And then after that, she submitted Sarah McMahon, who is a journey woman, um, if I've ever seen one. And then before that, it's just kind of been wins and losses sprinkled in there. She's submitted by Valentina Shevchenko. Doesn't mean she's trash. But she doesn't finish people often. The last time she finished someone was her last fight out, Sarah McMahon, and it was a submission win. I just... I don't see any path to victory for Juliana. The last time she knocked someone out was 2015. That's not a good sign. Because I don't think any woman on the planet, maybe Valentina Shevchenko could do it, but no woman in the bantamweight division can out wrestle Amanda Nunes. So automatically, Juliana Pena is going to want to keep this standing and she's going to want to strike with her. And looking at their record, looking at who Amanda's knocked out and the last time she knocked someone out or knocked someone down or wobbled them, which last time Amanda fought, um she fought who who did she fight after Megan Anderson? After Megan Anderson, Amanda Nunes fought someone, right? Yeah. Amanda um Amanda Nunes' last fight was Megan Anderson and I remember Amanda landing a, a a series of overhand strikes and Megan had no choice but to go to the ground with her and then she was submitted very very quickly. So there's a clear skill discrepancy in the grappling department, the wrestling department, and in the power department. So I just I don't see Juliana Peña being the woman to be Amanda Nunes Amanda Nunez can be beat. She's been beat before. She hasn't been beat since I was legally a child. But Juliana Pena is not the girl to beat her. Amanda Nunez is going to win by knockout or by submission. I hope knockout in the first round. Official prediction. Alright guys, it's here. The main event. We have Charles Oliveira attempting his first title defense against Dustin Poirier. Who many people, including myself, believe Will be the if Dustin is to win, Dustin Poirier will be the greatest lightweight fighter the UFC has ever seen. It's undeniable. Look at his resume. The only people he has lost to in the lightweight division are Michael Johnson and a random ass. Michael Johnson is one of the most inconsistent but always entertaining fighters in recent memory. And then of course he lost to Khabib. Besides that, he's beaten everybody. He's beaten everybody. Um, Charles Oliver, on the other hand, is on an, is on a really nice win streak. Something that Chael Sonnen brought up when he was making his official prediction for this fight is that Dustin Poirier's, his trajectory keeps going up. Ever since he lost to Khabib, he, he went on a very impressive win streak. He beat Dan Hooker, he beat Conor McGregor, and then he, Um, yeah, didn't, I I don't call it technically winning. It was a technical win, a technical knockout, a doctor stoppage. Um, yeah, was he winning that fight? Of course, but that doesn't mean anything. Fights have been won in the second, third, fourth, and fifth rounds, obviously. Um, but Dustin Poirier's trajectory is only going up. He's picking up steam as he goes. And I think the hype is at its absolute max for Dustin Poirier. Higher than when he went to fight Khabib. I didn't really give Dustin a huge chance against Khabib. And with the exception of a really nice right hook and that guillotine, Dustin Poirier was not in that fight at any moment in time. With any stretch of the imagination. So Dustin Poirier has insane hype. It's like a really big snowball rolling down a mountain. Yeah, it's it's just going to pick up steam. And it's either going to come to a full stop or he's going to keep rolling. Um, Sunday morning, Charles Oliveira, on the other hand, he reminds me a lot of Tony Ferguson in the fact that he can he can cut you up and make you lose by doctor stoppage. He can knock you out with his insanely technical striking, or he could submit you with his insanely technical and really high level jujitsu. The only difference, the main difference between uh, Charles and Tony is that Tony was not um, at all technical. He was very unconventional. Very crazy. Had a lot of Hail Mary wins. One of my favorite fighters of all time. One of the most entertaining win streaks, and it's I'm still sad that he never got to really fight for the title. I'm still sad that he got stripped of that interim belt and didn't get to fight Khabib. It sucks, but that's a topic for another discussion. Charles Oliveira, though, he has moments where he's not fully in the fight, he has moments of weakness where there are windows open for his opponents to, to beat him, to finish him, to get him out of there. We saw that against Tony Ferguson. Tony Ferguson had him, in, had him in a Darce choke. It was pretty dangerous for a couple seconds, but Charles being the jiu-jitsu practitioner he is, he was able to get out of it. We saw it when Charles fought Michael Chandler for the, for the vacant lightweight belt. Michael Chandler almost knocked him out. And he was able to overcome, and he was able to use his superb technical ability to throw that beautiful, beautiful crisp left hook to that signal, the end, the beginning of the end for Michael Chandler. So, that all being said, Dustin Poirier, to me, is the best, if not the best, at sensing when his opponent is in danger. Look at any of his fights. Look at any of his recent fights for the past four years. Back from when he fought Eddie Alvarez, and here Eddie, and he put it all on the line to finish him and was able to finish him. When Dustin fought Justin Gaethje, that was a back and forth battle. Going into the fourth round, Justin Gaethje threw an an ill-advised leg kick. I I wouldn't say it's ill-advised, but he abandoned all his defense. Dustin countered him, wobbled him, and then Justin being the savage athletic beast that he is he egged him on with his with his little every time he gets hurt he he tells him to come forward so he can try to catch him on their way in dustin was able to sense that he was hurt and anybody really who was watching that fight could see that gaichu was hurt he was he was wobbled all over the place falling against the cage when dustin could sense that connor's leg was completely trashed because of the way that connor connor kind of missed his shot and then almost stumbled over his leg then was able to just unload on him and not give him a chance to breathe and recover, and then also, if you watch the third fight with Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier lands a really nice shot on Conor, and Conor does the same kind of thing where he kind of ducks down and tries to push Dustin off of him because he knows that he's hurt, and Dustin knows he's hurt. Dustin took that opportunity to take him down, and then land some some good grounded pound. He was able to cut open cut cut open uh connor's cauliflower ear so when the inevitable window that charles Oliveira leaves for his opponents comes you bet your ass dustin poirier is going to take take full advantage of that the only problem is though it's not by design charles doesn't try to lose on purpose but he's such like i said he's such a tough and and durable and technical fighter that i can totally see Dustin Poirier rocking, if not knocking down Charles, jumping on top of him and then getting submitted by triangle choke, or getting su- getting uh getting reversed on the ground and then getting you know submitted by arm triangle because Dustin Poirier is also a black belt in jiu-jitsu, but not all black belts are the same. That's for damn sure. Charles Oliveira, one of the best jiu-jitsu guys in the sport. I believe he has the most finishes in UFC history, most submissions in UFC history. The guy's a monster. He's a true monster. Uh, in every respectable, respectful sense of the word. So I can see Dustin Poirier, like I said, hurting Charles and then getting too ahead of himself and then getting submitted. But I can also see Dustin sensing and smelling the blood when that inevitable window opens up and him capitalizing on it. So I've been giving this a lot of thought. I've been talking to my buddy, two of my buddies about who I think going to win this fight. And I just, I'm just, I got this gut feeling that Dustin Poirier is going to shock the world. Ah, eh, you can't say shock the world when he's a slight favorite. The odds are very close, as they should be. Both guys are really, really good. But I just think Dustin Poirier is, the hype is building too big. He's too, he's too enduring also. I keep using that word. I've used that word a lot this podcast. But he's just too good. And he has too high of a fight IQ. He's just not every chance that he has, um, he's going to take the chance. Every opportunity he has, he's going to take it to try to finish Charles. And there's going to be a couple moments when when Charles wavers. And Chael made it. Chael said this perfectly, and I'm gonna end it with this because I'm not gonna steal his his word. But towards the end, when he made his official prediction, he said. Charles Oliveira is going to lose a round and I'm pretty sure what he was saying or what he was trying to say was whether that's the round that loses him the fight by decision or it loses him the fight because he gets finished, that is going to happen. And I believe Dustin Poirier's track record and his his just pure blood fight instinct is going to lead him to victory. I think Dustin Poirier is going to knock out Charles Oliveira. And I think it's going to be in the third round. So that's going to be it on this episode of MMA Minded. I hope you guys are enjoying these episodes. I know it's been a while since I did an MMA one. Just time has not been on my side. But I was able to make this one work. I have literally 20 minutes before I'm going to leave to go to Berlin. So I hope you guys have a fun weekend. I hope you're able to catch the fights or at least be able to get a replay of it and as always stay safe stay away from those crazies out there thank you